Hello, everybody. It's your old friends at Monday Madness, and welcome to another episode of the That Was Liquid Football podcast. I think you'll find it's champagne football, Jonathan. Uh, well, last time I checked, champagne is a fucking liquid work bot, so thanks <laughs> for ruining the fucking intro. <laughs> bubbly liquid. Yes, a little bit of the bubbly podcast, our new uh, champagne reviewing series. No, um, as you may have expected, lads, the interlull has been exactly that, a lull. There's been sod all to talk about, except for It's Germany. been exactly... Zero goals in three weeks of football. You see, you made, you made your first only mistake, which is to watch Ireland games. <laughs> I saw other teams score. Yes, England mostly. Yeah. <laughs> that Spain, Spain. that Irishman, Jack Grealish, did very well. Yeah, uh, well, top lad. And Michael Keane. That, that Irish lad, Michael Keane, as well. He did very well. And who can we forget about that uh, good old Irishman himself, Declan Rice, you know? Oh yeah, we can claim Harry Kane as well. Harry Kane is Irish, uh, Irish, Irish heritage. If you want him? <laughs> no, they can keep him. Yeah, all right, nah. fair enough. No, no need to lower the IQ of the football team any further. That's fair. That's fair. It's already as low as it is. But uh, yeah, no, as Neil was saying, there, Spain um, rather made things interesting against Germany. That was good. Six 0 thrashing. Uh, you know, just a little bit of the bubbly in that sense. Uh, Scotland made it to the Euros, lads. Good for them. First time in like twenty eight years. And as is tradition, when Scotland reaches the a men's major team to get to a major tournament, yes, the men's team, of course, yes. Sorry, how foolish of me. Um, and as is tradition with uh, Scotland uh, teams making it to major tournaments, they will bring out a really cringy song, and everyone will hate it and blame the song on them exiting the world, the European Championships, very swiftly. So I can't wait for that to happen. Um, but we're not talking about the interlude lads tonight, unfortunately, uh, because there is we literally just talk about it there. Like, it would have been a three-minute podcast if we did. But what we are going to be talking about, as we promised last week, is champagne football. And the life and times of how John Delaney fucked Irish football. And John Delaney and company, I think it's fair to say. So, full disclosure, uh, Neil, Burkbot, you've read the book completely. And yeah. um, I'm about two, yeah. two-thirds of the way through it myself. So, I'll be able to hold my ground here in the conversation. And I think the main question we have to ask is where do we fucking start with this? Because Jesus Christ, like, okay, first of all, the book is actually fantastically well, well done um, by Mark Teig and, uh, and uh, Sean Brennan, was it? Or I can't remember the second name. Paul, Paul Ron. Paul Ron, that's it. Um, so it, it's a fantastic book in that it's very well researched, um, I have to say, from top to bottom. And they've really done their, their great work on it. And the fact that, like, a lot of stuff is only kind of coming out now is going to be uh, quite evident uh, if you read the book about so certain tactics deployed by certain people um, who, again, if we are very on the nose about it, would very well love to see some this is us, even though we are literally just three people with a podcast and the same audience numbers as that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, like this, is, this is kind of the norm. So, uh, so yeah, like, uh, I'll leave the floor to you guys. What do you want to, to start off with in, in this book? Because uh, there's quite a lot to unpack. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mental. Just basically, it's sort of like when, when you try and if, you, if you're not from Ireland and you want to really know how cronyism works in Ireland, because mm. that's a big thing uh, here, especially in politics as well. Mm. Um, this is a perfect kind of uh, like document documentary on cronyism, 
Yeah. And that mm-hmm. he got in after his dad, and he got in specifically because his dad was a fuck up as well mm. and was ran out of FAI. And he specifically got to the point where he was going to run the whole thing in order to get revenge. So, <laughs> like, the whole thing was basically just a gigantic kind of revenge tale. Yes. That wouldn't occur anywhere else. Uh, only for the fact that like everybody else would have looked at him and gone, no, you're the son of the guy we ran out of here because he was an incompetent fuckwit. You supported mm. your dad throughout this whole thing. You're obviously an incompetent fuckwit as well. Go, get out of here. No, you're not, you're not going anything. Uh, but no, they let him get to the fucking top. <laughs> you know, he, ran, he wound up running the entire fucking thing. And I, it's just, it's really... It's it's eye opening, you know. The start mm. the starting scene of his fiftieth birthday party is oh god, is really like I I, I do that. feel it. It was very cinematic how this book mm. was written because the the way they kind of laid out like the board meetings where these things went on, you could imagine just this like dictator wannabe, um, mm. like you know such a narcissistic man heading up these like meetings and being the center of attention and uh, I and ha- yeah no I just felt like um it was very well described and it was instantly dislikable like if you'd never um heard of John Delaney if you'd never heard of the FAI shambles um and you opened up on that chapter you'd re- immediately go like oh what a fucking prick yeah. And yeah, it just continues from there. And I, yeah, I just thought it was very, I, I loved how they opened up in this 50th birthday party because like the whole James Bond theme. Oh, it's so cringy. Like, yeah. I, I was thinking from my point of view, because, you know, mad, I, I had worked for like corporate um, promos back when I was in college, you know, weekend promos at these kind of events where you hand out leaflets that kind of to smarmy folks. Yeah. And, I imagined that would be the exact type of situation where I'd be like, what is going, is this a grown man pretending to be James Bond? Hmm. Not, not a seven year old's birthday party. Like, oh, um, but the the FAI staff, I felt sorry for because they were actually being, as it's revealed in the book, they were actually being taken out of their day job to go arrange a birthday party. Yeah. Oh, no, for a supreme it, leader, it was it was his um his wife or his de- his then wife or was it his girlfriend? His girlfriend, girlfriend in English, it was yeah. His girlfriend that he was stepping out on his wife with was um a she was an event planner and she had planned the birthday party, and so he basically had paid her. He was paying his spouse, yeah. you know, whilst also flying her around, um to all the, the junkets, the press junkets. So she was mm-hmm. flying on the FAI dime as well. Like he was he was taking his mistress around. <laughs> you know? Like out in the open, uh, like there's just so many points and I know we're gonna probably going to get them, not necessarily chronologically, yeah, but there's just... That's like a Mount Juliet, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know if any, like obviously to anybody who's not Irish, like it's that's a castle almost, isn't it? Like Mount Juliet, yeah. like a fucking manor estate. It's like some matter of fucking um eyes wide shut more so yeah 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 it's probably somewhere you'd you'd come in to find masks orgies occurring in every room yeah 
Well, knowing him, more uh, that would be too far. Yeah, we nothing more intimidating than seeing fucking Eamon Dunphy, Dennis O'Brien, and and Sundry at oh, a fucking uh, mass orgy. That'd be oh, awful. Um, okay, I, I I love that. I love that um, part of the, the the start of that book because it really encapsulates. The, the if you wanted to just treat it as a book review, there's your centralized themes, isn't it? Like that's the themes like boiled up in one in one story. Is that the FAI was all about this man and his missus, and it was everything was focused around him, and it was this absurd, absurd like look how brilliant he is, and this this kind of uh, this very absurd hero worship just between him and all the people in his inner circle. And then not only that then, but people that are roped in tangentially as well, where people, as we mentioned, Eamon Dunphy, who were, who was there like kind of to keep up appearances or so it says in the book. And suddenly like once he's like embarrassed enough, he just fucks off home. But then you have yeah. other people, people yeah. you would know. Dunphy was uh, not happy with how much he was in the book. Yes. Um, in fact, his, his exact quote was, I feature quite a bit more than I'd like to. Um mm. But he just said that, like, the only reason he was in there is because, like, he was him and his mate were like huge Manchester United fans or something like that, and they could he could just get him tickets. Like, yeah. Um, actually, just after in, in the book, just after the bit about his birthday, it goes to um a part uh, for was it the ninety four World Cup? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ninety four World Cup in the US. The like father, like son chapter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where Dunphy goes to Joe Delaney, so his dad, and he's there, like John is there as well. So he goes to his hotel room because he's looking for tickets. So this is the this is 1994 World Cup in Orlando, right? You can imagine the ticket demand was out of fucking... Mm. Oh, it was just nuts as well, like, you know? And uh, he goes up to his hotel room and he goes, Joe was sitting on the bed and he goes, on the floor was the biggest suitcase I'd ever seen. Like, just the suitcase was the biggest thing he'd ever seen anywhere. And he goes, in it is just nothing but dollar bills. Packs of dollar bills and tickets. And he asks for four of them. Four tickets. And Duffy says, I was fully expecting Joe to tell me to fuck off. But he went, no, no problem. And he just hands them four. He goes, they're four good ones. And he goes, how much do I owe you? He goes, nothing. Just tell him I gave them to you. Mm. <laughs> he goes, that was the Irish way. That was just how we did things. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? He was running a ticketing operation out of the seventh floor of his hotel. Like, tens of thousands of dollars just stuffed into a fucking suitcase. And, and we, had, we had that then a few years later, again with yes. uh, the Olympics. Yeah, the Rio Olympics, yes. yeah. Mm. Um, and Joe Delaney, or sorry, John Delaney is actually on, was on the warrant list and he fled the country. He left the country before he could get like seized. And it was just like, your dad got done for this. Why would you be that stupid to try and get away? But the thing is, he did get away with it. He got away yeah. with it. He still has not been investigated like by those... Oh, yeah. um, yeah, he so more, that, that investigation like yeah, he more than got away with it. He sued everybody who reported on it and won about a quarter of a million euros. And, and like, we, we, yeah, like again, the the litigation side of him, where he just um, ran to the courts every time there was an every, issue, like it's like literally running to your mom, like anytime someone takes <laughs> you know a, a side look at you. Yeah, he's being mean to me, and then like you, that person gets grounded, and then you're like, ha ha, and you're driving past their window like on your bike, and you're like, ha 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 ha. 
That's literally what he was doing constantly to all the journalists in Ireland who tried to report on this guy. And like, as it's kind of mentioned in the book, there were several attempts to try and out this guy as the fraud that he was. And they they were immediately quashed and buried by uh, litigation and cease and desists. And I would presume some brown paper envelopes got passed around there as well. Oh, absolutely. Like, well, the, the scary thing about it was that, and again, this is one of my major takeaways from it, is because he wasn't, this man wasn't challenged nowhere near enough than he should have been. But the, the, there's like two main... Not at all, yeah, precisely. <laughs> but the thing about it is that... I do like how the, the phrasing of how passive... Or it's, the board were very passive. Yes. <laughs> that's, how, that's how this thing is being phrased. That the, the board just rolled over and, like, you know, let him yeah. take them from behind, basically, like... But the bizarre thing is, like, half of that is by design when you kind of look at it. Because you mentioned Joe Delaney there, and a lot of those board members were kind of around from that same generation where they did, like, do, like, a ticket operating business from a hotel room, and they just kind of, like, did it for a laugh. And they all quite liked Joe, but they knew he fucked up and said, right, he has to go. So, in a sense, like, it it, it made sense for them to keep on a Delaney because they thought they thought the, the, the sun shined out of this fella's arse. So, you have this general level of incompetence from a bunch of board members who are just so detached from reality that stuff like accountability and consistency and ethics just do not apply. Like it's, it, they're just in a different realm altogether. And the second aspect of it then is when it does come to holding people like Delaney accountable, you, you need people to step up and be that kind of like the, to be able to challenge him. So obviously he doesn't get that from the board and anyone he does is pushed out so quickly. And then on the opposite side, come pushing like on the outside pushing in, like no one from the independent would push in because lo and behold, Oh, it's a paper owned by Dennis O'Brien, who's one of his best mates. So you don't have any yeah. any kind of external pressure on him at all. The, the, the no, whole no, environment no. is set up for him to do that. Yeah, but the, the thing is, is that there, there are systems in there that they could have used to check mm. his behavior. It's just they didn't do it. Like, yeah. the entire board was like, so it was just nothing but yes men, you know, mm. loads of them in their 70s. I mean, <laughs> you, can call them any, you can call them many things, but you can't call them an ageist. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and but like rules were trying to be brought in to stop all the stuff, to stop the way that it was, it was organised in order to allow him to do this, and he just mm. ignored him. Like Des Casey tried to bring in those rules. I think Des Casey is the only other Irishman ever to set a new way for his executive committee. Yeah, and uh, he tried to bring in, he brought in rules into the FAI to ensure um, that. UEFA wouldn't allow people to stay on committees past the age of 70. And Delaney just got rid of the reform. He just, no, no, I've got, I've, because he was surrounded by people he knew would let him get away with absolutely anything. Mm. You know, when it came to, when it came down, when they tried to bring in rules about, because um, at the beginning, he wasn't actually paid for what he was doing. Uh, so there was this guy, oh no, well, yeah, it, he just he got promoted he promoted himself essentially to the point mm. to the only paying job and then because it was the only paying job in the FAI initially there was like a term of service you could only you could only be in there for like four or five years they then just got rid of that and just like the term like uh, the term only applied to everybody else it didn't apply to him no. yeah. he was the only paid member and you're going like what the fuck like he was literally like he was breaking the law, realised he was breaking, well, he was breaking the rules, realised he was breaking the rules, and went, oh, well, hang on, I'm the guy in charge, I can just break, I can just change the rules. And that's what he did, like, mm. you know, it, it was, it was fucking extraordinary, like, and the the, por- the purpose of a board is so that you can't actually do any of this shit. 
Mm. Like that's the whole like his behavior is exactly the type of behavior that a board is meant to check is meant to annihilate. But that that's the the passiveness of this board. Exactly. Um, we're literally all his mates, and even if they weren't his mates, he got rid of them. So there's like so many like anyone who got questioned or anyone who told like you know stepped out of line and that was drawn by John Delaney that like they were like ousted or they were forced out of their position because of him and yeah like he just gave himself I suppose you can kind of look at it it's kind of what Trump is trying to do over in America right now where he's like Mm. refusing to admit the election you know he has lost and like you know John Delaney was oh you don't like me well you're gone and he refused to you know accept any challenges to his brilliant ideas and i wouldn't even mm. mind but this is actually quite a good segue into how we treated other people in fa in other football associations in other countries like mm. we mentioned yeah. scotland there earlier the way Jesus he treated Christ. the scottish fa like so i was reading some of the fucking reports of like the dinners he would have the scottish fa and i was literally my, i think my bones actually <laughs> cringed i honestly yeah. thought my skeleton cringed to the point where i compressed my skeleton to kind of ball like a fucking neutron star it was like it was obscene like he over was, something relatively innocuous as well it wasn't a personal attack it was like scotland gave you a low allocation of tickets that was it yeah he would make speeches at them like at the dinner absolutely railing against them you know um or the, there, there was like like he would put like the the scottish FA in the corner. down in the corner and thing and have where the scottish fa would sit he had his mistress and yeah. I was just like, what are you fucking doing you fucking lunatic like oh but man. this is very much like that um that whole kind of analogy where you know the child the evil child on the road has you know, yeah. complained to their mother like this is like this child has now taken offense at something that another child has done and is now like getting revenge and being petulant it's like a petulant spoiled chi- child that's exactly yeah. what he like what he said and we had this petulant baby running the football association but using like Obviously, in this case, it's not his eloquent use of words that it was getting him anywhere here. But like that is, that is so much the case that uh, so many people got bought out by his jargon and like yeah. you know, he had such a spin. Like you cannot fail to admire the spin he would put on things. Um, mm-hmm. Like he has the gift of the gab, I suppose yeah. that that he could. The, the outright lies, but the believability of the lies, which had what's the name, Cody, like wrapped around his finger with like yeah. some of the things that he was saying and getting away with, and like, like I, th- I think, and we, I know you haven't got to the point, I suppose, but you're very aware of what happened, like mm. when he was brought in front of the commission, like the the doll commission, yeah. um, and he basically refused to speak, and then it moved on to like someone else who like literally like oh how many bank accounts does the FAI have and he was like just the one and everyone just looks at him like no you fool (laughs) (laughs) Um, whereas you know John Delaney would have been able to spin that like oh we just have the one main account and then you know you know some way that he would spin it off so that no one would be able to like probe further but um yeah, like, but even just the way like uh, he inserted himself into like press releases, or he made sure that he was the face of you know, oh, we're delivering the Aviva Stadium, like you know, let's yeah. you know, I'm front and center here. 
and with the Scottish FA, um, I can't think of your man's name, but it's Stuart. But that's Stuart Regan. Stuart Regan. Um, he was like, uh, I've never seen any other FA around the world that is mm. so centered around the person and like isn't like he is he is the FAI whereas most other associations all other associations there's some guy who's head of the FA yeah um and yeah basically he just like he was like and it is it is cringy it's mortifying reading that going how bad was that like as like, was Miggledy there? Could Miggledy not have saved the day there? <laughs> Could he have not stepped in going, John Delaney's being a fool here. Let's, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take you with, uh, you know, respect. I don't but, think so. I think uh, I think the only person who really could have stepped in would have probably been the Minister for Sport. And I think at the time it was Shane Ross. Yeah, who was best, who was good friends with him. Yeah, but, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Uh, even, like, because when the, when the inquiry started, the TD to actually instigate a lot of it was Noel Rock from Fine Gael. And the gas thing was that when he, like, went, in, went for the juggler and said, Delaney has to go, the FI needs to get restructured, Fine Gael themselves went, whoa, Nelly, okay, little backbencher, hold on a second second here. And it's just like, this is this was the whole problem, was that when someone did raise legitimate concerns about stuff like this, there was just somebody above them just go and hold your horses. Where, you, where do you it, know how many greyhounds he's, you know, sponsored <laughs> up, you know? Yeah, or... but there's something like that. Like, you'd have, like, and, and again, the, the, the sheer amount of name-dropping in the book was astounding to me. Where, like, oh, they're having this uh, special function, and uh, Simon Coveney was there, Leo Varadkar was there, and Shane Ross was there, and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, this summarises the whole problem. You had people who were like, again, it's, it's almost a golf gate where we had over here recently, if you're not familiar with that. It's a very similar environment, where it's just like, oh, these people are here. You know people like this. Like, Tony O'Donoghue was there, you know, or not, obviously not Tony, like that, but I'm using it as an example but just name dropping like oh he was there he was there he was there you know and it was the fact that like yeah and they're all like they're, they're all in this own little bubble where like they just think like they are invincible or they have this kind of weird again this, well, this hero they are middle aged white men mm. so yeah they, they their own little bubble does kind of rule everything doesn't um, it and yeah um just to throw that my, my favorite one of my favorite things about it was um was <laughs> the one guy and i love this as well because i was i was talking to this about it to a friend of mine who's uh who's a shells shells fan so she has a, a very vested interest in seeing john delaney get killed <laughs> i think it's fair to say um but we were, i was telling the passage about when um when john delaney first met bertie ahern and a lot of it was about the, the supposed Bertie Ball project and oh, bertie yeah. ahern himself going get this fucking Egypt yeah, away from that was me. it <laughs> The exact quote in the book is like, oh, Bertie could spot a white boy a mile away. I was like, yeah. I remember <laughs> while I was reading the book. I was like, that's because oh, one. But yeah, like Bertie Ahern didn't actually go anywhere. Didn't want anything to do with him because he knew he yeah. was a fucking hookster. And I was like, that's because he's a fucking crook as well. Exactly. Yeah, takes one and no one. Even then he was just like, no, no, this guy is here to fucking fill his pockets. Get him the fuck out of here. But I think Bertie was just, he wound up, when he became T-shirt, like he just wound up being too far away from the the, the centre of yeah. whatever was going on. So he couldn't really do anything. You know, that's why you have a minister for sports. You know, you can't, you can't start getting involved in other people's shit, you know? 
Mm. But it's curious how he was able, you know, how quickly he was able to get people on side by like these kind of like crazy token gestures. Because you mentioned Shane Ross there a while ago, and there's a passage in the book where John Denny kind of makes this magic appearance to his to a, a school in his constituency for a sports day, and the, and it's all it's all PR, it's all hype, it's all this sort of stuff. But he just gives a whole lot of free tickets to to kids and families at the school. Of course, it's a, one of the nice, very fancy schools in Shane Ross's very posh constituency. But you know they're executive boxes, so you know you don't have to live with the riffraff at all, do you? But at the same time, like that was how he was able to get people on side because he made it a political yeah. thing where like he was beside Shane Ross in an area where Shane Ross was likely to get voted in. So Shane Ross gets the push, gets the, the boost as well. So there was that, it, there, there was a general like mutual relationship there between like a politician and John Delaney to be on, on side. And that just continues to go and because also, of... Yeah. It's a politician that's meant to be keeping thing. I mean, he did it with another mm. uh, minister for state and tour, for a minister for tourism was for, he did it with another one with uh, Michael Ring. Yes. Um, so when the FAI were given like, I think what it was like one and a half million quid extra in funding, I think about 2013, 2014, mm. someone of that thing, 200 grand of that went to Westport United. Um, unbelievably, the dancer for tourism, Sport Michael Ring. Oh, that's his actual, that's his hometown. That's his hometown team. <laughs> you know, uh, I think because I, I remember that because another 200K went to Clonus Town FC. Oh my God, the John Delaney yeah. Stadium. Oh, See, they named their ground after him. Uh, you're just like that's four hundred grand out of a one. And a, I want to say one and a half. That could actually be wrong. A wrong figure. I'm trying to come in off the top of my head, but mm. that's like that's fucking a third of the cash going on mates. Yeah. <laughs> Mates, who, who, mates who, are, who are kissing up to him, by the way, saying we want to build this grant of money. I remember when I was applying for my grant when I started college, and holy shit, like they wanted fucking teeth out of me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, they wanted every fucking cent, red fucking cent was accounted for. Nothing was taken charge. I had to, I had to provide like fucking paperwork for. Every fucking thing about my life. They literally had everything on me. I was like, how the mm. fuck was this guy able to give away 400 grand of state money and nobody asked any questions? How is he able to give 200k to a minister who oversees the, his, his exact area of business and nobody go, ah, hang on, that might be a bit of a wee bit of a conflict of interest. Mm. The thing is, if anyone did bring that up, they were either ousted from their position or they were fucking sued. Uh, yeah. keep their you know lying mouth shut um and and seem to be uh, but uh, you'll see like you know, as the kind of the commentary is and like lots of people knew about you know oh you want to get your club you know some nice new you know functioning mm. yeah. um and Catherine Murphy um the social democrat um uh, TD, she um, had met him a few years ago at League Slip uh, United, at like a fun or like a, just a, a night, you know, a, a club night or whatever. And he tried, like he was m making his way through the room, getting photos with everyone. And then all of a sudden, League Slip had this lovely, brand new, state-of-the-art facility added to their um, mm. to their grounds and. But, but she was like, no, no, I, I wouldn't, I refuse. She's like, obviously, she just didn't trust him. And she was one of the TDs that did bring him up then at the um at the questionings, and he kind of stonewalled everyone. Um, 
But I, I did like that, that like she, she was kind of one of the few politicians that actually was, well, as, as it's written in the book, you know, we don't know, you know, maybe she could have had a brown envelope past <laughs> her way, but like mm. she was one of the ones that actually stood up to him and yeah, but, and still leaks have actually got there because um, she was a nobody in his eyes, I suppose. He was mm. like, you know, she wasn't TD material just at that point. So why did he have to bother or why did he have to even put the effort in to try and make himself appealing to her? But um, yeah. yeah, but like it seems to be a known thing that if a club needed something, you know, whether it was a new pitch or floodlights put in, all he had to do was suck up to John Delaney and he'd come out, do a press shoot, like be the hero. And it's yeah. like this hero complex. He needed to be the hero. He wanted to be like, I saved Irish football. It's like, mm. look at what you fucking done. But this is the thing, is oh, he, he, I don't think he realizes, I, I don't think he even really acknowledges the fact that like, because I don't think he ever really looked domestically at what the what Irish football was. He, I think he always attributed Irish football as the international scene. So when he sees like the Irish team going to like major tournaments and him being like a UEFA delegate and going on all these trips and making himself look like the big dog, that was a, that was what he considered Irish football to be a success. It, it was nothing to do with the domestic leagues because obviously he said, "Well, England's just over there. Let's just use their system instead and just like just." leash off them as opposed to like doing a model like various other small countries do and try and be more self-sustaining but like sure that's too much effort like who, who cares about that sort of stuff when you can just like let Liverpool sign on your players and hope for the best I, I saw a good I saw a good quote where um I, I can't think if it was actually in the book or whether it was on the RT documentary last week where basically his he intentionally kept the League of Ireland in the kind of I don't want to say shambles, but, you know, mm. fairly close to being the shambles that it is. And like he'd put very little investment, you know, it was all kind of um, lip service that there yeah. was going to be investment in the league. And there, um, it, that never came to fruition because he wanted them to be broken up. And like if they were a united oh, front. Yeah then they would actually have the power to overthrow him. And you saw, and I am, of course, going to be bring, the one bringing this up with the women's national mm-hmm. team strike. Absolutely, yeah. Where they had been kept at such arm's length that be, like, there was no promo for the women's team. There was, no, there was nowhere for their frustrations to be voiced or vented. They were actually not allowed to join the PFA. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, the PFI, yeah, the PFAI had no yeah. dealing with any of the national, the women's national team players until, was it Emma Bourne? Yeah, you know, she who basically was looking at all of her Arsenal teammates who played in the England and Scot. Uh, I think even the Scotland setup like was better at that point. And she was like, I want that. Like, I'm captain. And that's when like, I think like the, I suppose this kind of idea of a united front versus the FAI scared John Delaney. Mm. And that's when he was like, well, look what's happened. Like now she's after getting a voice, which is, you know, he, he couldn't litigate because she wasn't actually complaining about him. He couldn't shut her up because she was just complaining about conditions, which yeah. are facts and true. Like he couldn't uh, sue her to shut up. Um, and people were agreed with her. So she got her voice out to the, more people and more people agreed with her. And there was United and then there was also solicitors involved. So there was a legal front against him, which he couldn't fight mm-hmm. off in, you know, with his cease and desist letters. And they got, they won, they bet him. And 
I feel like from that point on, there's kind of a turning moment because he realised, like, if there's a united front against them, if the League of Ireland had kind of in any way come together and put forward some sort of strike action to try and get funding and better promo for the game and better infrastructure for the youth teams and that that could have this all the, the League of Ireland wouldn't be in the precarious position that it is now like with COVID mm. you've got loads of clubs that are on the yeah. brink Cove Ramblers have to get um like a bailout there like just to to stay afloat and like this all could have been done if, I suppose if the teams had kind of combined and the PFAI had kind of combined to try and get these things um but he kept the teams disenfranchised. He kept them at such an arm's length that they never got the chance to kind of collaborate and combine. Yeah. But also it was really weird that like Byrne, there's a whole thing about it. Byrne had contacted the general secretary of the PFAI, a man called Stephen McGuinness. And McGuinness wrote back that even though the PFAI was in the, located in the same building as the FAI, it wasn't, it wasn't an affiliate of it. It was a standalone organisation. And it's kind of like, Wait, what? That's like your fucking. That's like your liver going. Nah, I'm not. I'm not with this guy. <laughs> I'm just, I just happen to be in the same body. I'm doing my. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> fucking idiot. But like the, the whole women's thing. I, I, I like that they really poured into the women's. Yeah. Um, because what was happening to women like funnily enough the fact that they had to give back the tracksuits at the end like they had to change out of their FAI tracksuits in airport toilets and mm. when they returned from like training camps or matches and returned them to the association that's actually the, the least worst thing right oh. they got no per diems they weren't paid even though they gave up about 40 work days a year mm. to train for games there was no bone they didn't even get win or draw bonuses I mean, like, um, they weren't even entitled to recover lost earnings or any of that type of shit, nope. you know? Um, and medical expenses as well were not catered for. Exactly, mm. yeah. They had no strength and conditioning programs for the players. It was fucking crazy. I was like, what on earth is going on? They literally, quite literally, got nothing. Yeah. And it was... They, it was a pay-to-play for your country yeah. scheme. Um, and, but even when faced with this reality of uh, like this is you know like they were losing money like each player had like loss of earnings blah 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 blah. and they calculated it up it would have been the cost of maybe a third of a John Delaney's 50th birthday party to fund this yeah. kind of stuff yeah it's absurd, you know uh, uh, like it is sickening but um, I am but it, I was it, actually it was priorities like, were though wasn't it like it was always a case of like you need to get like John Delaney is the person to save us all he's the one that's going to get us the World Cup and all this nonsense it's like this is all just a pipe dream lads you, you need to you can't go from top bottom you need to go bottom up it's always yeah, been that it was, case it was pure discrimination of the most obvious and basic kind because yeah. when the women's national team all banded together with the PFAI um, the FAI said that they couldn't represent them and they're going like, hang on, wait a minute, we're a players association, yeah. you don't get to dictate to us who we represent we represent professional players, that's it full stop you know, but and then the FAI refused, the women as professional players. Yeah, and then they refused to enter talks with the players' chosen representatives. And we're going like, hang on, the men's team had negotiated pay bonuses through a nominated representative um, fuck, hang on Kieran Medlar I had the guy's mm. name down there. I was like, and then they were turning around to the women's team and going, you can't actually do that. 
<laughs> what the fuck? Like, it's absolutely nuts. And then he turned around and said that he can't do it because he don't have the money. Yeah. This is at the same time that he's forking out like luxury hotels for his mistress. Yes, you know, the women's yeah. football team would like what he would paying to Mount Juliet was, you know, would cover like a training camp and a strength conditioning coach for half a year. Yeah. You know, um, like even, you know, even even uh, even worse. At the time this whole thing was going on, he was that this is when he was making his bid for the executive council at UEFA. So he spent about forty grand to his mistress for her to kind of like program out all these like really glossy um, folders and binders and magazines detailing like everything. All about, of his accomplishments. Exactly, all of his accomplishments and all that stuff like that. So about a quarter of what he spent on like glossy PR bullshit could have solved this whole problem. And, and again, it goes back right. to that same thing. It's just like it was more important for him to have a seat on the table and try and like have give Ireland some representation. But it wasn't about Ireland. It was about him. It was about yeah. He wanted representation. Becoming, like e- yeah. even the John Giles Foundation, which um, oh. like oh yeah, that's a fucking shambles. Like, like the the idea, like you can understand the sentiment. Like John Giles is a fantastic representative of Ireland and like local hero, and you know, TV pundit that like does even despite the fact that he's been removed from the game, I suppose, like as a player for years, still has some decent insights. I'm not going to say I agree with all of his insights, but he does still have some decent insights. Um, and I and I quite like him. I think he's you know pretty sound guy I hope this doesn't you know age like milk but um, he uh, his foundation basically got hijacked as a, um, like what's the term like not a Ponzi scheme but like kind of like a you know what I'm talking about like a yeah I get that yeah yeah it was a scam it was a scam he did, that was the thing with um, Con what was his name fucking Con Martin where he got paid like 300 grand for the idea of a sponsored walk and the whole thing was just a complete fuck up. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they put no money into the organization whatsoever. No f- toilets, no fucking grand venture at the yeah. end of it. Oh, no yeah. Yeah. To, to, People had done like a 10 day walk and there was no fucking toilets or anything like that. For them. Going, what? The up, like, for fuck's sake, people. Yeah. But, but like, I was like, I remember that story. But then I remember, like, usually when there's a big story like that, it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then I was yeah. like, I heard that like once. And then it must And then I'm thinking, like, oh, he obviously sued them for defamation What's and the whole thing yeah. was wiped under the carpet. Like, and then like all those, you know papers were recalled off the shelves in the morning and burnt out the back mm. <laughs> that's exactly what it was and like it, again it's that's why I, I love the layout of the book because it is just the case of like and now we move on to the year 2004 where John Elaine <laughs> did this now we move on to 2006 now we move on just, to wankers yeah it, it's very much like that and again, again it's it's it extraordinary because like the the stuff with the Aviva is, is still such a fascinating money spinning story as well because like, it was like a- I, 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 I have to say, right, I, I am not a fan of the IRFU. I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of the, how they treat their women's rugby players and oh. uh, their whole kind of junior rugby scheme and development. That is a whole different podcast for a different genre, and I'll probably do that with other people. So, so. But um, <laughs> in this particular case, they've got the fucking upper hand in this. Like, they, yeah. 
I'd say they're embarrassed having gotten into bed with John Delaney on this deal mm. because, but it's going to probably work out better for them because like, what was looking very likely up to a point where the Irish government had to step in and stop this from happening, but that, uh, it, that all the rights to the Viva might have to go to the IRFU because at the mm. minute they're shared. Uh, yeah, but because yeah, just, the FAI are defaulting on so many of their payments that the bank are taking over the repayments, obviously, and then the rest of the name of the <laughs> Viva Stadium just goes to the IRFU because mm-hmm. they're the only ones actually paying the fucking bills for it. Yeah. And, like, you know, maybe that was their, scam, their, their whole idea in the first place. was like, think, get the FAI on board so they get the initial, you know, money and funding for it. And then knowing the FAI can't keep sustaining their payments, get the stadium for themselves. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it could have been, could have been down to that because, like, John Delaney, at this point, would have had a reputation of a bit of a wheeler-dealer, where he would have said, like, he just seems to be able to invent funding. And, shockingly, most of it was coming from Dennis O'Brien. And, as we would later find out, also from fucking Mike Ashley, of all people. So, what would, 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 uh... would you rather have Darth Vader or Darth Maul? Which one would you like to get into bed with? You know, kind of way. But this yeah, is the thing is it's like it's like choosing which of the bullets in the six chambers of a gun you'd rather be shot with. Exactly. And he genuinely <laughs> believed that like Sports Direct was going to start like investing in Irish football, even though you would have had a contract with New Balance and Umbro already. Oh, the in- whole kit deal thing was hilarious. Unreal. Unreal. I, I, like you I just think I was going to work. That's a good segue into it, because the problem the thing about John the the, the funny thing I found about it was that like normally hucksters get away with this kind of shit because they're you know they've got some laudable um, characteristics that they use to cover up the fact that they're such obvious scoundrels but the fact is he was absolutely terrible at everything that he did he was completely shit Um, Mm. the first negotiation with Mick McCarthy offered him a bonus that McCarthy didn't actually even want or ask for well obviously you know want if somebody's offering you hundreds of thousands of pounds you're gonna fucking take it just for doing the same job that you were going well here I just want this for Um, yeah the kit deal as well where he pissed off his sole fucking sponsors going behind their back and negotiating deals with other companies Mm. he was so he was such he was actually really terrible at his job like really paints the board in an even worse light because it's not as if they were going well this guy was fucking he was he was ripping he was ripping up trees this was fantastic but the problem is is that he wasn't he was absolutely terrible at what he at what he was doing he reminds me the stories of his like wheelings and dealings and like uh it's basically like it reminds me of a guy who my dad worked with my dad was like a salesman so you Mm. know he does have a way with words and he's that kind of a you know he's uh whereas this guy came in and your man my dad was kind of like your man hasn't a clue about my industry at all like he's completely just used some jargon he's used some phrases my dad was in the construction industry and this other guy came in and he was from like a coffee like he sold like wholesale coffee to people you know like you know completely removed from the basically went to the interview with you know the, the the new job and basically was like yeah i've definitely seen the inside of buildings yeah they're you know i know all of the things i know how walls work they hold stuff up there's usually a roof yeah i know all and of the buildings your ma- 
Best builders. But he, he was able to say, like, oh, well, I've got contacts in this area and this area and this area. It's literally places he delivered to as a coffee salesman. <laughs> but he got the job. And, like, every time yeah. I read about one of John Delaney's, I just thought my dad got this fucking coffee bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is ordering the wrong materials because he doesn't know how concrete works. He doesn't. Mm. He was ordering the wrong type of blocks because he was like, "Oh, sure, they're all the same." And they're like, "No, it's like different strength." He had to describe the strength in coffee, <laughs> um, coffee terms, like for like the forces on uh, the different like blocks and bricks. As you know, well, this would be like you know your straight st- like strength ten coffee, and this would be like your strength three coffee, and this would be used more of an iced latte sort of a coffee. So you wouldn't use this for that type of building. You fucking prick. But literally, I always, your man lasted in the job, surprisingly, not very long um, Mm. because he was found out straight away. And like, how was John Delaney not found out straight away? Because he was Joe Delaney's son. Because they all like this. This is the same. This is more or less the same board. These are the same like old men who who were, were think thought they were brilliant in the nineteen nineties with like the two World Cups and the hype train they rode on top of that, and they just thought they saw John and thought like this is just Joe with better, and they immediately just believed everything he was doing because he was Joe Delaney's son. It was as simple as that. It didn't matter if if this was any other person in this environment. If it was a newcomer coming in to this cabal. It would have been thrown out immediately because it would have, they would have deliberately, they would have intentionally seen everything. But because it was him, they decided, oh, he just knows people. He, he's able to get stuff done. He's a brilliant businessman. And when you do look at, and again, almost every chapter in this book almost ends the exact same way with a board meeting where they all back John Delaney over something. It could literally have just been about singing a fucking IRA songs in a pub or getting the shoes and socks taken off in a fans in Gdansk or um, having his, him and his wife have this kind of like soapy, sad fucking speech at his 50th birthday about how, she, how she's the one for me and all this shit and fuck off. And uh, then, that, was and then the that was the girl, that was the mistress. Yeah, yes. no, he, he was actually engaged to her at the point of his 50. <coughs> yeah. He already um, left his wife for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So y- you have that. Then you have, the obviously, the, the, the main event, as it were, which were the payments back and forth, which we'll get to soon. And all this other stuff. And again, it always goes back to the same thing, where the board goes, I have confidence in John Delaney. It's like, the, you cannot, as a genuine person, a passionate about Irish football, have any confidence in John Delaney. What you do have confidence, though, is that he's going to make you fucking money, and well, you don't have to do anything about it. He also, he also utilised quite a lot of absolute shared incompetence. I mean, the mm. treasurer was only the treasurer because he was a retired guard. Now, he wasn't like a, a he was an honorary guard treasurer. or anything like that. He yeah. wasn't a, ca- a criminal asset. He was just a guard. He was a retired guard. He'd never done accounts before, wasn't an accountant, never done accounts, wasn't a chartered accountant. He was just a guard, and they just went, "Oh well, here you could be the treasurer." He took over the treasury job after John Delaney got promote, uh, got the top job. Mm. And like years later, he's being asked, "It's like, well, how many bank accounts does the FA actually have? You're the treasurer," and he's like, "Well, I don't know." <laughs> You're the fucking treasurer. How do you not even know how many bank accounts your organization has? Like it's the te- the checks that you're being signed off is because the guy in front of you is like, "You're just gonna sign this check." And like he, it was pretty much, it seems like his own negotiation kind of like tactic was you are going to sign this contract. You are going to offer me this redundancy package. You are going to offer me 3 million in, you know, 
no reason funding after I've been fired. You are or going to, you know, like, when you have to sign it now. Like it literally is, we have to do it now before anything breaks out and we can't leak this. You know, so it's all, it, it, it put it gave, it put these like uh, these old men in this paranoid environment where they have to get this done now or else the people will know. So they got them in this kind of like this kind of weird inner circle where no one else can know about our dealings. But we are doing it for the best of Irish football. But trust me on that one. And we have to do it now. We have to get this contract <laughs> through. We have to get this deal done. It's like, but why? What, what's wrong with the due diligence? But of course, we all know why because people will find out like a whole lot of fucking weird, dirty shit behind it. Like, like I do like there, there, there is one of the board meeting minutes where someone asks a question it's blatantly ignored and John Delaney moves on to talking about wasn't that a great match at the weekend lads or something yeah. like you know it was like literally well, a again, segue. Was and the person, but a person who even asked a question you just said ah, sorry but the board is very passive Jonathan the board is very passive yeah well that's the fucking Not problem yeah fucking half dead more Not like. in on it there's one great quote from it was the FAI was like Afghanistan run by a load of feudal lords with no central authority mm. <laughs> because if I was here for the rest of the day to tell you how the council carried on you wouldn't believe it approving the minutes used to take nearly an hour then there would give me a row about I spoke about this and it's not in the minutes I didn't get tickets for the international there are people in the VIP lounge who shouldn't have been there that type of shit yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> tragic <laughs> Uh, I suppose <laughs> when we take the um, so some of the, the more um, schadenfreude stories from John Delaney, perhaps times where he made a complete tit of himself, um, pretty much any time he ever went with the Ireland squad to an away game, he made a complete fool of himself. You, I, no, I think we, <laughs> it could come out now. He'll probably claim alcoholism as a reason for all of his shambles because it just <laughs> seems that everything revolves around drink and then he'll have some sort of sob story. I'd say he'll come out with a book now, Champagne, Alcohol free champagne football or something, but where he's now like autobiography. I mean, not his autobiography, John the Baptist is a huge seller. <laughs> I, 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 that has what? No, I, I actually don't know if you're joking or not. No, he has a his autobiography was out like well before this called John the Baptist. It was read by it was wrote by the chief editor of the Indo at the time. <laughs> well, this is definitely, I'm not going to read that. Fine commissioned his editor to write a book about oh, John Delaney. Dear. I genuinely thought that was a joke. No. Like, John, even just calling it John the Baptist, I'm, like, I'm not religious. That's but I one of the titles that's of, of the, the uh, that's one of the titles of the chapter in the book. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I genuinely just thought they were just comparing him to a friend of Jesus because, like, you know, he's God's gift. <laughs> And I don't know if John the Baptist is a good guy or a bad guy in the Bible. I'm not religious at all. Like that, that reference is lost to me. So like, yeah. I, I don't, I, 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 <laughs> I'm I so confused by this, guys. This is a revelation. Ah, it's a book of revelation. <laughs> no, I have it here. Apologies. It's not a book. It's a documentary that was commissioned by the Indo on, uh, on John Delaney. Uh, it, was very, it was in 2014 okay. after he'd done remarkable things like, uh, oh, I was actually getting the uh, Aviva to be one of the venues for Euro 2020. So as a celebration of him, bringing one game <laughs> at the time to the Aviva, they, they, they... And that didn't it. even happen. Yeah, didn't even no. Fraud. <laughs> the one thing COVID can be, you know, praised for, not allowing John Delaney to win that one. What I, what I find amazing is that, like, um, like, he was just able, like, he just used his money to, to, to curry favour. And especially with the Irish fans, like, I found that incredible. Where, like, he was able to just go, like, 
I'm going to pick this set of plans on this train going to Bratislava or wherever it was. Apologies. Skopje, that's what it was. It was Macedonia. I'm going to go on this train with these lads. I'm going to buy them out with a couple of beers. We're all going to have a bit of a laugh. They're all going to run for all those banners they had of me. And we're all going to have a lovely time. Rinse and repeat to practically every away game they went to because he needed the curry favourite. He wanted good publicity. and making Yes, he had like other fans who were in any way critical of him. Uh, yeah. ejected from the stadium and banned from li- for life uh, for writing about him on message boards. Like the Come yeah. On You Boys in Green uh, message board. Yeah, does he know Kelly um, stuff as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I just like the neurosis of the guy who's like scrolling through the threads going, oh, yeah. he doesn't like me. Get rid of him. Yeah. He doesn't like me. Let's find out where he lives and let's, you know, throw tennis balls at his house. Mm. <laughs> Actually, Neil, you uh, might be a good person to ask about this because there is a passage in the story about the Ireland-Sweden game where the, um, where the FAI had told their French officials, French stewards, to take all banners. Yeah, they, they, the stewards were going around taking out, um, taking down uh, any anti-Delaney banners that were being mm. held up by people. And, but because like, the French like, uh, officials were mostly immigrants like from African countries and the like, their English was poor. So they yeah. did almost <laughs> by accident take every, all they banners. Just, they were just taking down every banner. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was fucking mental. I didn't see the stewards going around taking down people's banners because I was in a category B, you see, because I'd, mm. I'd won the tickets. Yeah, you're in a competition. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, when I, when I got them. And um, so, yeah, that, that was mental. Just walking around seeing fucking stewards taking down banners. I was going, what the fuck? It wasn't until I got <laughs> home later on that um later on that week mm. i realized what it was all about it was like oh fuck they were anti-delaney banners but i was like <laughs> i remember reading a few of them was like some of them were like like things like come on you boys in green or some shit like that i was going like, how is that anti-delaney i was like oh yeah maybe that message board i was like maybe they don't like, <laughs> like no no it's just the, the, the stewards couldn't didn't have good english yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Even France, where you speak French all the time, and even then, they were probably from a French colony in Africa. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but I, fucking good English. So, we, um, so we, then we was one of like Delaney's greatest hits, if you like, where he finds himself absolutely hammered in a bar singing um, ballads, and uh, Balsadie, Jodie, The Guardian, they all reported and saying, "Here's the FAI chief singing, come out your black and tans." And John Delaney goes, no, it was some other, it was some other, it was, I, I don't think it was Comedy Black and Tans, it was some other pro IRA song anyway. Could have been, yeah. And yeah, he tried to steal them all. Yeah. And the, um, and the, the great thing about it was, I, like, you, you remember uh, Peter O'Hanra Hanrahan from the day to day? I got the, the hack of him off John Delaney in this. It was just like, it was like no, no, it wasn't me. No, it, it was, it was my wife, my, my, my husband. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it was 25%. It was like, so turn around and face the camera. Is that you singing? <laughs> yes. And what were you yeah. singing? Come, come out, you black and black and tans. Yes, yeah, exactly what you were doing. <laughs> you know, I was just, it's so mad because like it was proven and he still tried to tie these people up and not about it. Uh, there was a documentary that um, released in the last week or so about uh, this whole scandal, but and they have um, so some of the writers like like Paul Rowan is. I'm not sure if Wife Teague if that is. Oh, it is. The two of them are in it. Um, mm. uh, but Emmett Malone was given a cease and desist letter. He was working for the Times, mm. and um, 
basically he had the video on his phone and yeah. the cease and desist letter was basically that's not John Delaney that is a guy who looks and sounds like John Delaney but it is not John Delaney and Emmett Malone was like no you see I know it's John Delaney because I was there I took the video and yeah. like because it, it was a case of, I think someone like it was been reported as the source had provided this video and, mm-hmm. and the video has emerged from a source online but Emmett Malone's like yeah I am the source uh so yeah and like mm-hmm. in the the video he's just like mm, yeah no it was good to actually get that out in the open and yeah no I felt very relieved you know <laughs> that they got the story out there and yeah, uh, yeah no it was just you see, like, the, so much shithousery where, like, literally every, and I suppose we're going to come talking about the, the hundred grand yes. check where it was like, oh, you can't, you can't print that because it's a family matter. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's an FAI matter. And if your FAI, if your family matters are entangled in the FAI, well, that's an even bigger story. Mm-hmm. So let's dig deep into this. And yeah. yeah um, let's talk about that. So, because that was, kind of, in a way, that was the beginning of the end, wasn't it? Because it was a case of just like. Yeah, um, well, it, it's one of two things that brought, it, it's one of two things that brought him down. One was he had loaned about 100 grand of his own money to the FAI, which wasn't mm-hmm. put forward in any of the reports, any of the accounts, and was signed off on by the board as well. Um, which he stupidly admitted to as well. So it was kind. Of, it was kind of like he admitted that he had loaned money to the FAI to keep them solvent, because literally they were like about a week away from like uh, wages not being paid and you know defaulting on a lot of debt. Mm. So he wrote a check for a hundred grand to go to the FAI, and then he admitted to it. And then people were looking back over the accounts, going, "Well, it's not in here." And if it's not in here, and the board had signed the board again, going back to the board, they signed off on all these accounts. Yeah, that wasn't there, <laughs> but they all had knowledge of this, obviously. <laughs> and it was just so fucking crazy. The second thing that um, kind of really brought him down was his former girlfriend Susan Keegan, who now lives mm. in Spain, and she had been paid to. But this is in the accounts that. Um, this is probably actually what this is the one that's probably going to be central to us if there's any prosecution because it's now with the guards it's now with the guardie which is why not a lot of this is not a whole lot of the absolute nitty-gritty has come out because it's with the guardie it's being investigated and this is i think is going to be central to it is that it's recorded by the fei that she was paid like 95 grand by from the fei between 2012 and 2014 however she signed an affidavit stating that she only received 10 of that um, and the rest very quickly found a way into resting in John Delaney's personal bank account. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah the, the, that's that's probably so. The, yeah, the, the hundred grand loan was the start of it. You're correct, but what's probably going to get him done is he, that's embezzlement. Which is, that is essentially embezzlement. Yeah. That's embezzlement. Yeah. That is, you, you know, you, you go to prison. and it's public funds as well. Yeah. Yes. That was the thing, yeah. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, like there, there was things like um, UEFA grant was it UEFA or FIFA grants that were paid to Ireland, not necessarily the FAI. Like it was meant to go into the state, um, yeah. and that never the state never received that. Um, and it, 
it's just a pure thought. Like there's just so many things as well. When they, like in the book, they tot it up. I'm not sure the exact figure, but they actually break it down. It's like, oh, and now that brings the tally up to 395,000 of uncounted for money, unaccounted for money. And um, uh, yeah, yeah when, when he left, there was like about a million quid on the F- on his credit card. Mm. On the FEI credit card that he had, it was about a million euro. I, I have no, I have it here. It's like two cards had the spending between two hundred thousand and three hundred thousand for three of those years, and in two thousand and fifteen, one card had the spending of three hundred thousand and three hundred ninety nine thousand, and they're just it's ninety nine 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 nine, like you know, yeah. nearly basically four four hundred grand. But no one penny over because then it would have been maxed out, and then people would know. About yeah. It. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's mad, isn't it? Because I again, my as opposed to kind of like the to wrap up this segment, the the major takeaways for me is that just how completely unfit for practice the FAI is at in its current shape. Like I know they're getting they have new people no, coming it in. Is. And trying no, to it do is it. fit for practice. The people there aren't. Oh, that's what I mean. That's like, the actual of, the, the members these, of it. Yeah, all of these checks and balances are there. Like it's organizational. They just ignore. Yeah, they're just ignoring the people. When you sat with a crony surrounded by more cronies, I was like, mm. he should have never been allowed to stay in the organization, particularly how his dad was run out. He should Absolutely. have never gotten to the top. Um, funnily enough, his dad was done for loaning money, for covering <laughs> money up. His dad paid something like 110,000 sterling to cover up an account hole himself and that's why he was running he was actually run out the same way his dad was and yeah. it's just it's just fucking crazy absolutely mad so uh, to, to finish up this part then I, I i thought like well we got a idea to kind of like give us like one proper from the book one solid fuck you john delaney moment one moment do you think really makes you really angrier at him like what is the one there the, 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 the must be like one little anecdote that makes you just go oh fuck you you know, like as an example, the one I had earmarked was about Brian Kerr, where um, uh, well, Brian Kerr was not John Delaney's appointment. He didn't want him. He wanted Martin O'Neill. And he is, had wanted Martin O'Neill for about 10 years at that point, which is just so fucking creepy at that point. Because why on earth would you want Martin O'Neill to manage your fucking team, to be honest? But he wasn't a good, he, he wasn't a good point at Villa. So I think you can see, you can see his point. Either way. So he didn't, never liked, never liked Brian Kerr, never liked the way he did things, never liked how he managed his team. And solely because Brian Kerr was a footballing man. He, he came from a different way. He wasn't an FAI um, person in a sense. He was a football coach. He believed in what he was doing. And like by and large, um, he had a right, he had a right um, morals about it in a sense. But the difference was he wasn't getting the results and that gave John Delaney an in to say, oh, is there anything, anything any issues here? And so he, he called up the kit man, Johnny Fallon, who was, who, he was uh, I think it was Johnny Fallon, who um, obviously had connections with Delaney as well and said like, how's the, how's the squad doing there, Johnny? Is it, a, is it looking balanced? Like, yeah, it's grand, John, no problem. Really? I, I've been hearing there's a few rows in the team there. It's like, John, you can't make me do this. And it literally was a case like Delaney was desperate for a reason to get rid of him. And this was early on in the, I think it was in the World Cup qualifiers or Euro qualifiers, sorry, after, after, um, uh, yeah, it was the year of qualifiers, 2004. And like Delaney was just desperate to get rid of him, even though the Ireland team at that time were looking pretty okay in that group. And then as things went on, we slid way down the group and finished fourth, which was a damn shame considering the team we had. And it was just a case of 
Delaney had just poked the bear so much, he just eventually went, oh, well, that's, uh, that's them eliminated. Well, we better sack him so. And, want, and got Steve Sonson in instead. But the fact was that John Delaney hated Brian Kerr so much. I'm the gaffer. No, hang on. You have to make like really shit icon. I'm the gaffer. I'm the bass. But, um, but the thing was that John Delaney hated Brian Kerr so much because Brian Kerr had the temerity to have an opinion that not only did he, uh, he because again he had the interview with UEFA, Brian Kerr um, had an opportunity to apply for UEFA um, coaching roles in, like, in mainland Europe and John Delaney vetoed the whole lot. So he, he point blank, and because Brian Kerr was in a weird position where he wasn't like well-known enough to get like a position, a, a coaching role in say England, let's say, but he was yeah. too big for Ireland. So he's in kind of like the same role like Stephen Kenny is now, let's say, um, which is appropriate considering that's what we're talking about next. Um, but like Brian Kerr would have been a great fit for something in UEFA as part of a development program or something like that. And John Delaney said, vetoed him, gave him a bad reference. Yeah. And Brian Kerr was left down the swanee for, for years, you know? I, yeah. I, I have such a soft spot for bum nudge care that yeah. like, you know, I do feel like he would, I do feel aggrieved. Yeah. At how he was treated, yeah. yeah. Have you guys got a, a similar moment where... I, I have two quick ones because I'm going to have to leave because I've got a crying baby in the next room. Go for I've it. Got one, I've got one for John and one for his dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, for, the John, the, my John one was basically right at the beginning because we mentioned his birthday party was that he got the FBI to cover the tab for his birthday party. His birthday mm. party came to 80 grand. 80,000 euros because he got he got the fucking high kings that, which is a massive trad band he got them yeah. they were they were his they were his wedding band um uh then a dj with a fucking drummer and a saxophonist on afterwards in any case something like that um there was one part where um because he had like alexander Seferin, the fucking uefa president in yeah. and everything like that and they were having trouble getting the the vips from the airport to the mount julia because they couldn't helicopter them in. The FBI couldn't helicopter them in because of Hurricane Ophelia at the time. Mm. You know, first world problems. But um, yeah, it was that he was asked by the FBI to pay the tab for his own birthday party, which gave the 80 grand. And he paid them 50. <laughs> which, if your mathematics is any which way, shape, or form somewhat decent, is less than the cost. So yeah, <laughs> in essence, he made the in essence the Irish taxpayer picked up thirty grand for his fiftieth birthday party. Thirty mm. grand for his fiftieth birthday party. And the second one, which is for a sad Joe Delaney, which probably shows that like scumbaggerism really, really does run in the family. Yeah. Um, is that when I went back to the the ticket touting, well not ticket touting, the ticket scheme that he was running out of his um mm. out of his hotel room in Orlando one of the sorry hang on, oh yeah sorry one of his uh, regular customers was a man called Eamon Casey uh, formerly known as Bishop Eamon Casey yes had to be exiled to Ecuador after a child sex scandal yes so yes he, mm. he was he's in the book as well he was seen slipping in and out of the hotel to get his match tickets oh my god mm. oh yeah which is almost nobody they wouldn't work with. No, unfortunately, that's the thing. Those are two, those two. And literally, like, that's the first, I think, 10 pages of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, like, that shows you how 
to get like 20 pages in it took me four attempts i had to keep stopping it took me a week i i i I 100 percent like i usually like when i enjoy a book which i very much enjoyed this book uh, i usually horse through it and like finish it in like one or two sittings but i had to keep stopping and put it putting it down and just kind of gathering myself because they're like and the bit my moment of the book I, I actually had to stop reading it for about a week um, and that is the women's football and obviously it's something that is dear to me but the one particular moment in that is Ruth Fahey's story um, oh Jesus yeah <laughs> fucking hell so, uh, yeah Ruth Fahey who, this, I'd, have probably, I'd have probably gone with that one it's fucking awful yeah, so she she has to give up on her playing career because of injury. Or well, she kind of decides, like, you know, well, after this injury, I'm not going to be able to play. Yeah. Um, she's solicitor. Um, she's done some sports media uh, college degrees. She's been asked to write a column for The, the Mirror. Um, but she says, well, this is going to be my chance to kind of get women's football promoted in, like, you know, I, I suppose a, a newspaper. I'd say newspaper. But, yeah. uh, like, uh, in a media... <laughs> forum that wouldn't necessarily cover women's football and obviously since she was working the legal team the FAI she was warned not to write anything controversial and she's like well that's fair enough like you know like don't shit where you sleep sort of a thing yeah, you yeah. Kind of get, I, get, I get that um, but yeah um, she covered just the facts of the women's strike um, so the whole thing with Emma Byrne and Stephanie Roach she just covered the facts and she said, yes, I too had to swap my tracksuit. It resonates with me that they're actually taking a stand against this. This is not right. And basically she was asked to hand in her notice. Like she was basically told <laughs> like, yeah. right, you can't say that. And she's like, what? I can't report that. Like, the FAI for, for agreeing with her, co- her teammates. Yeah. Like the FBI were hoping that like she would do what a lot of people do in the Indo and in other newspapers where they just write a piece where they say everything is fine. That's literally what they want from journalists is to write that the FBI are doing great. Yeah, exactly. It's pure, they, they, pure uh, Leslie Nielsen standing in front of the fucking fireworks factory that's on fire going, but yeah, it, it, it's something else. So Neil, you have a you have a baby to deal with. Do indeed. <laughs> um, but in any case, to anybody who reads this uh, or listens to this, please buy the book. You can get indeed. It Black. Well, it's technically not Black Friday, but everybody's calling it Black Friday right now as we're recording this. So you yes. can actually get it for less than a tenner. It's just, oh, wow. it's just unbelievable. It 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 is it is a great read. It is um, it's a thinker. Um, yes. Um, like it does not necessarily where it has you pondering the meaning of life but it ponders how someone can get away with this so like so much incompetence and so much a spin talk and um no it was thoroughly enjoyable and i've already kind of got a list of people to borrow it off me once it's gone through its three days of decontamination due to covid regulations so um it's probably the only book that my dad's ever refused to take a loan off me because me and my dad are ritually just stealing books off each other but um i was i'd finished it when it first got now and i was telling you about it and i remember saying to you i was like don't read it you're you're, you're gonna vomit blood by the second chapter yeah and he was actively refusing to take the book off me because he's like no so i said to leave the book in his house knowing that if i left it there 
He'll eventually read it. Pick it up, course my eyes, and then read it. <laughs> and I remember talking to him afterwards, and it was just like, it was just such an infuriating book. It was so, mm. it, it's, the, problem, the, the thing about it is that it's because it's, it has to be as well written as it is because were it less skillfully written, you would actually put it down and not pick it back up. Yeah. yeah. The fact that it's so unbelievably brilliantly written, which is what kept me coming back to it when the subject matter was so unbelievably off-putting. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, it's a great sign of, of, of brave journalism too because it, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing theme of the book where like... Oh, yeah, they were, they were, they, they, the, the, the part where he, they're documenting their rush to the high court. Yeah. They, they, they get their get a solicitor out from... Because it's, it's, on the, it's on the day before it's Patty's weekend. It's Patrick's Day. It's on Patrick's Day, yeah. Yeah, it's on Patrick's Day, actually, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's so oh, yeah, you have to get the solicitor out from dinner. But I you can just imagine the carnage that they're running through on the streets of Dublin to get to the high court. Yeah, like yeah. jumping over puddles of vomit and you know fighting <laughs> the leprechauns and pots of gold just rolling around on the ground. Mm. Like, and they're jumping <laughs> over there. They're they're not even stopping to pick up the gold. They are running towards that. <laughs> they know what the real gold is in the four courts. <laughs> yeah, on this lovely cover. Yes. Yeah. So to, to wrap up this podcast, then uh, to wrap up this podcast, then I suppose me and Burke might take the lead on this, Neil. If you need to do, do your parental duties, and um, I suppose the kind of the what is the kind of current state of of the Irish football team? Because we, we mentioned it earlier in the show, ten hours without a goal. Ten I went that. I will sign off. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Neil, for your time. Always a pleasure. So, like, um. Obviously, like you kind of bring people up to speed who don't know what the arrangement is. So we used to have Mick McCarthy as our manager, and the whole deal Mick was McCarthy. that he, Mick McCarthy, put your fucking head on it, lads. And still love him. And yeah, he's he, the thing is like he had a deal to go up as far as Euro twenty two and be the manager there. And the, in and in theory, Stephen Kenny would then take over and be the coach for the World Cup qualifications for Qatar. And and the thing about it is like that, that in that does seem like forward thinking. But as we saw from the book, it wasn't actually. It was just a way to get Mick McCarthy in and perhaps set Stephen Kenny up to fail a little bit in case it if it doesn't work. But the in theory, this could have been good because you could have had a coach that like sets up this philosophy with the under 21s and then brings us players in then to challenge for the for the first team mm-hmm. proper. And the problem is obviously with the COVID regulations, the um FAI have had made a decision to basically cut Mick McCarthy loose short, uh, sorry, cut McCarthy short um, early, and then bring Stephen Kenny in then to finish off the job for Euro 22, as it is now at this rate, 2021, yeah. whatever. Um, and then obviously they'll bring us into the World Cup qualifications next year. But the problem with that is now, you, you, we're kind of in this weird state where like neither manager have been able to kind of implement what they wanted, where Mick McCarthy couldn't qualify with the Euros, which is the main objective. And Stephen Kenny didn't get the time he needed with the under-21s to bet in these players to be ready for the first team. So now we're kind of in this very unfortunate position where we, where Stephen Kenny wants to bring in these players, but they're nowhere near international ready. And the sad part is the players that would be there, the ones that are very dependable in the Mick McCarthy team, have all fallen off a cliff. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's what your feelings are on it as well, Bart, Bob, but I think, I think we're kind of in the same boat here. Oh yeah, no. Um, 
I actually had a conversation in work about this today because um, one of my work colleagues had, were talking about the, the, the very recent news of Stephen Kenny getting into trouble with the FAI um, yes. and the, over a video that he had shown. And, and I know... Uh, let's, let's be clear. It was a video. It was a, it was a little piece from the movie The Field. That's what the, he showed during the match. I, I didn't even hear that. I heard it was something about the Birmingham. See, there's so many conflicting reports. I heard it was something about yeah. the Birmingham Four or the Birmingham Six or whichever. It, it was. It was supposed to be like a um, like the anti anti English. Anti English, yeah. Um, there's been a lot so, of conflicting like, reports. If, if it's any sort of historical clip at all, it's going to be anti English because, well, look at our history. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, look, I live with Nordy. Like you know, I think it's gone fairly yeah. obvious that uh, I can't bring this up, or he might interrupt this podcast. But um, no, um, that that this conversation kind of uh, snowballed in the staff room this morning, and we were just kind of talking. And she was saying like, "Oh, I don't know too much about this Stephen Kenny guy. Like from where I, from where I'm looking in it as a not necessarily avid football fan, he's come out of nowhere." I don't know mm. his name. I don't know why he's the ma why is he lauded as this? You know why has he been given this position as Ireland manager? And um, what did Mick McCarthy do to lose his job? Basically, it's because she's like, from what I can see, there's no difference in the team except now mm. there are worse. Um, and I was like, well, that's that's really fascinating kind of input from someone kind of on the outside who isn't following everything. It's like, first of all, you've got to look at the COVID conditions has kind of fucked everything up. And that's not just for Ireland, but we are especially ill-equipped Ill to deal with anything other than Plan A in any yeah. forms of legislation. So whether it's a big snow, like we have, the whole, and the whole country has to shut down because it snowed, you know, whether it's, you know, it's a bit windy and planes have to stop or, you know, as it is now, it's a bit of a, sn a sniffle that's going on at the minute. You know, we have a, a, a world... bit coming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, we're, we're not very well equipped with anything out of the usual. Um, and the FAI is obviously the, in the exact same boat. I agree with you that I like the idea of the the incumbent uh, Ireland succession, manager having to. I'd say I, I kind of yeah, like, yeah, like he. I would have liked that idea of having the under twenty ones because that under twenty ones team contains a lot of our under seventeen European finalists, like yes. um, in, like obviously it's schoolboys. A lot of that team are, you know, they've played in international tournaments and won and done well and got to finals and got to, you know, they, they've got the chance at silverware and they've got this team, you know, ethic and playing style that has done them well. And the, I, lo I loved that idea that there was a manager with them all the way through so that they, mm -hmm. he would bring them up. And I think there was very sound logic behind that. However, rushing everything and rushing Mick McCarthy out uh, with a lovely bonus, as it turns out, um, mm -hmm. and uh, rushing Kenny into the senior role when there isn't any of his players to drag up. And like, as we've seen with COVID, he has had to drag some of them up to mm -hmm. senior level, who, from what we can see, like, Jason Malumbi kind of put himself about, but he's probably the only name out of those under-21 graduates, shall we say, yeah. that kind of did anything in the last three internationals that was kind of noteworthy for the positive reasons. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, he's getting a lot of slack for his. Obviously, the, like we have not like it's eleven hours without scoring a goal. The last goal was a single like goal in a match, and it was Shane Duffy from a header. Yeah, and what what the people in work were saying was like, oh, the team were gone to shit. That manager should be gone. And I was like, well, like actually, hold on, like look at who he has to work with. He, he has barely anyone because of COVID and injuries mm-hmm. to actually work with who would be seasoned internationals. Um, and out of our strikers that we do have for selection, even our top, like cream of the crop strikers are not firing in the Premier League or in their respective leagues. Yeah. Like Aaron Connolly is probably our most prolific striker. And what, he's scored one goal for Brighton? This season, I don't think he's got off the mark yet, but I think you're right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But that, 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 they're, they're, that's exactly my point. It's like uh, Dave McGoldrick, but he's feckin' retired. So, like, um, <laughs> Dave yeah. McGoldrick with his one goal, that's what I'm thinking of. Dave McGoldrick with his one goal. Absolutely. Yeah. Was our highest performing attacking player in mm. any of the top leagues. And I've, I think that just says a lot about what Stephen Kenny has to work with, mm-hmm. more so than how he's playing. Should he adapt his style of playing to suit the players? Well, I think he has because we've got shit players and we're playing shit. So, yeah, he has actually adapted to suit the players. Um, and I'm not necessarily a Stephen Kenny fangirl. I'm, you know, there is no, I have no ties to the man. Mm. But like that, I liked the philosophy that was kind of meant to have been there that he would be bringing players along with him and the FAI have just pushed ahead with us like for whatever reason and I, I don't understand it but yeah no that, that do you think it's set up to fail is that is that what we're kind of getting at here because like but yeah they, they, this kind of manufa- manufacturing the story about the you know anti-English sentiment um I'm sorry, I don't really know any Irish people that don't have some sort of anti-English sentiment. Like, again, mm-hmm. you look at the history and, yeah, you've got all the reasons. Like, yeah, you know, and I'm not saying up the raft or anything like that. No, again, I have to be very quiet. Yeah. Um, but um, you can't, yeah, if he's showing them a history clip, if he's showing them a dramatised history clip, there's going to be that sentiment in it, and it was a motivation against playing this team in a match. Of course, like I don't, th- I actually don't see what the big deal is. Again, we could only be mm. getting one side of a very manufactured story. Yeah. So, um, are they looking for him to fail? Who are they going to replace him? Who's next in line? Is John Delaney going to get one of his like yes boys into the mix again, or mm. is this new kind of? rearranged FAI going to actually step in and try and work and develop the squad into what it could be rather than what it is right now. This is this is the tricky part because like it, it, like if you're judging Stephen Kenny on the footballing side, you can almost certainly say results wise that it's been horrendous. But let's let's face facts here like if Mick McCarthy was in charge of his team, I don't think it would have been any different. Because we, nope. we, like we had done a really good job up to this point to get us to say to a, to to a, to a possibility of getting a playoff, and that is based off the fact that like we do not have the quality of players to do that. If you look at the at the home nations, let's say compare us with Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England, we are by far the worst out of those teams, and that's yeah. an incredible thing to say compared to Northern Ireland and Wales have like significantly less population than us. 
Scotland, you can make the argument with just based off numbers alone. But really, compared to like to Wales, who we have been perennially losing against, or at least drawing against for years, obviously they have superstars in their team. But by and large, like the, the depth should not be there for for what we think our team is. And likewise with Northern Ireland, who have even less players to deal with, they have an organised team. They have a system. They work, make it work. Granted, they've had Michael O'Neill in that role for, for many, many years, and now he's gone to, to pastures new. Well, I say new, Stoke. Um, but even then, that philosophy, that mentality is still there. They still want to play, and, and like teams that go now to uh, Windsor Park will go, fuck, we're playing Northern Ireland. They're going to batter us. you know. And Ireland had that same like vibe for for a while when with Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane we were like we were just like you had to break us down you had to beat us we were so defensive but now was the point of this team to go like dude we're better defenders than you now we know how to play your game we just like let you fucking dick about for a while and we'll just score three goals and you're done there's no defending from that from being actively outclassed so from that point of view oh hello where was I anyway (laughs) that was weird I got cut off. Um, So moving on. So from that point of view, like the actual theory of trying to make Ireland a better footballing nation, I think makes sense. But even then, like, like really we're only trying to get back to where we were because in the seventies and eighties, we were fucking really good footballing teams with, like with the with with suitable players, we had a Giles, a Brady, we had a Sheedy, a Shields, a Whelan. We had those players. It was just that when we got to like to the Jackie Charlton era, and like he knew that like just being bastards will work against the teams during the World Cup. That kind of like I, I don't know if it if it gave us that kind of notion of like this is what an Ireland team plays like now, but it, because it works so well and that was so memorable, I think now we we kind of we can't expect that from an Ireland team now. So when Stephen Kenny tries to kind of redraw the blueprint and try and make us a more honest team, and that's what I kind of look at when I'm playing. We're, like, we're honestly trying to play football now. We're trying to keep the ball. We're trying to do that. We just do not have the players to do that. You know, really, really I, don't. I totally and it, agree. And it, and it really shows in those players that did brilliant under Mick McCarthy and Martin O'Neill. Look at James McLean. The man is, the form-wise, he's fallen off a fucking cliff. And the reason is... I do think that's his age as well, though. I think, yeah, a lot of it, because I think he's he's now expected to just run around more, like, just even chasing the ball and pressing and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, he's, he's, he's getting into his 30s now, so that turn of pace is gone now. And I don't think he's, he's done enough to his game to try and change that. Um, Shane Duffy. Like, yeah. like, his move to Celtic has been an unmitigated disaster from start to finish. And the gas thing is, I think Brighton knew it was, which is why they got him out and, and so they can bring in the likes of Ben White and Dan Byrne into the defence and go like, well, we don't have to deal with that many own goals this season. Job done. And, you know, like this is where we're dealing with. We have David McGoldrick who retired, who uh, unfortunately to him never really got that boost in the in the Irish team. He never got that goal rush that, you know, an Irish forward really needs. Well, he threatened. Yeah, but this is the thing. Like, and and that's the sad thing is that we're just the quality is not there. And even when I look at the young players now, like I think we're very guilty in Ireland of overhyping young players because literally that's kind of all we have. When you look at it, like we're looking at the likes of Aaron Connolly and Adam Ida and begging them, pleading them that they'll be good. You know, we're yeah. looking at like we're looking at goalkeepers like Mark Travers and Gavin Buzanu and fucking uh, Kevin Kelleher and hoping like one of them will be Shay Given. They go all over again or Packy Bonner. You know. And the reality is, like, they, they might not be that. There's so much pressure on them now already to perform, yeah. you know? Uh, 
I would hope that now, like we're like we're in pot three of the world qualifiers now, which like means that we're going to get a pretty rotten deal potentially to to qualify for Qatar. And like I can only hope that they can only take that as a positive and say, well, we're not expected to qualify. Let's have fun. Let's try and play some football. Let's be be attacking. I just don't see it happening. I just the the, the play the players just don't seem to get it. And um, I don't think the FAI gets it either. I think they just think like. Well, we this hasn't worked for four, four years. Let's give this a go, and then if this when this fails falls on its arse, we can go well back to belt and braces. Let's get Chris Hutton in. Let's fucking start building bridges. You know, that's what I think. That's what I think is gonna go. I I honestly do believe like this is this is a deliberately failed experiment to prove that Ireland can't play football, so that we can go back to having like one all eat one all one one nil drop wins with like fifteen percent possession and stuff like that. That's my fear. And the gas thing is again. The players that are going to, going to be coming through the system are not going to be playing that like pragmatic football. They're going to be like speedsters no. and wingers and and forwards like that, and they want to play attack of football now. So we've got this weird like anyone who anyone with a bit of that kind of pizzazz ends up yeah. going over to England or going abroad to play their football. If mm. they're staying within um, the League of Ireland, say for example, that they they're not they might be a bit more pragmatic. Um, mm. But yeah, I, like I said, I think there needs to be investment there at the youth levels and at the domestic levels. I think you see the likes of Graham Burke and uh, Jeff Byrne getting oh, call-ups. Yeah. And, that, and you're saying, oh, isn't that great for the league now? And I was like, well, it might be great for the league, but it doesn't say too much about what's happening with our talent abroad. Yeah, and, that's it. Um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, there has to be serious investment. Now with John Delaney out of the FAI, you'd hope that now the money that they were funneling into his own pockets can now be mm. funneled back into the into the game and start developing and for both men and the women's team because like yeah. uh, we're coming into an international break in the women's football now and it's not as interlully as the men's game tends to be because it is a bit more competitive and there are actual competitive matches going on. These are qualifiers. Mm. Um uh, Ireland are going to be playing Germany in what seems to be a complete and utter, you know, formality. Yeah. Formality match, unfortunately. But wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't It'd it be, nice. be amazing? If, if someone like Leanne Kieran just does a Shane Long and like lobs like the German keeper, you know, it'd be nice just for that to happen, like history to repeat itself or something. Burger. And Catherine yeah. a burger. That's it, yeah. But like, um, in a weird way, though, like the, the the women's team, like, okay, like, look, I'm sure people will be going like, oh, women play football, <laughs> hilarious. Get over yourselves. The thing is like, that the women's team, if you really do look at it, if you look at the nuts and bolts of both teams, the women's team is so superior to the men's team. It's not even funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, when you were saying, like, right, we, in the women's team, right, Mm. Uh, we have got Denise O'Sullivan, who obviously I fangirl over a lot, who is one of the best, uh, best midfielders in the world. And this is not necessarily me just saying this. This is like she was the, um, like in America, she was yeah. voted player of the season in America. Can you know, like mm-hmm. that is like being a Premier League. It's like getting the Ballon d'Or from a Premier oh, yeah. League footballer. It's that standard. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, she, like we've got Denise O'Sullivan, we've got. Four strikers, like mm. number nines, that can interchange between number tens, nine and a half, elevens, wingers. 
And that's mm. not including Katie McCabe, who just plays in whatever position she's needed for at any given mi- minute. Um, yeah. And we, we're, we're spoiled for choice. Now, I know in the last game, we didn't score. And that was kind There's of... There's a lot of bad luck in that game, in fairness. It, but it wasn't for lack of trying, because we yeah. even had, in the last five minutes of the match, centre-back. Louise Quinn come up and hit the crossbar. Uh, <laughs> like it, it's just like the complete opposite of what the issue with the men's is that we've got so many attacking players that maybe we kind of push forward too much and then get caught on breaks. Uh, we saw that ourselves when we when we were at the match against the Netherlands that actually we held our own against the number two team in the world for probably mm. seventy minutes of the match where there was only a goal in it and then they kind of pulled away in the last few minutes. But like. Yeah. And and that was very much, we had pushed on forward, like, oh, we could get something out of this game. We can go for the draw. Oh, we gave the ball away to Van de Donk and she just did their thing. Yeah. But the mad thing um, was that, like, I was always, I was, I remember giving out about those games because uh, that was when Colin Bell was in charge. And he was like, to his credit, he's a fantastic coach, but he was a very pragmatic coach. Like, he, yeah. he was very disciplined and he didn't let the team really breathe. And now that he's gone, uh, I think he took the Huddersfield director of football post, I think it was, or something yeah. along those lines. And now you have Vera Pauwin, who is a, a student of the Dutch game, like former Dutch manager and, like, has, yeah. as, as is often the case with Dutch coaches. Total football is all they know, and they want to implement that. And in a weird way, like, in a way, it's kind of proof of concept that the Stephen Kenny model can work, but there is going to be that risk yep. involved, that, like, you are going to lose your footing. But if the players take to it, and it really does work, this team look brilliant, and it, and it does, like, bring out the best in them. It's just a case that I think you need to have that actual bedrock of talent first to do that. In the women's t- team... 100% yes. There's talent from start to finish. Goalkeeper, maybe not. But <laughs> defenders, fullbacks, wingers, uh, midfielders. I, I actually do blinker, think yes. that's Vera Pau's... She's mm. got the blinkers on when it comes to the, the yeah. goalkeepers. It's quite frustrating really because you've got Grace Maloney who has gotten two goalkeepers... Like she gets into the t- she's gotten into the team of the week twice mm. this year. Edged out by like another two weeks, I would have given her goalkeeper of the week as well because yeah. um but she was edged out of it by um Sandy McIver in both situations who is like kind of England's darling um mm, newest darling sorry um uh and then we've also got Nivreed Burke playing for Piment obviously she's not professional so she kind of is going to be the the last pick in that bunch but yeah we watched her well I watched her in the Champions League uh, playoff with Glasgow and that they're just Glasgow City who are a fully professional team uh, mm. who got to the Champions League last 16 P-Mount United who are um, actually like you know title contenders as of this weekend but um, they are they, they went head toe to toe and Glasgow City actually came out after the match and said um, P-Mount United are playing football the way football should be played and Honestly, best yeah. of luck and there was actually a very pointed kind of quote in there as well saying, uh, basically kind of saying like they're punching above their weight that they need mm. support and they could be actually be as successful as we've been in the last few mm. years. So like, I think the idea of uh, domestic funding from the FAI for both the men's and the women's leagues, and there could possibly maybe in the next decade be a professional league for the women i i can see it happening though because that's the thing like 
because for me, like the the two domestic leagues are so low as it is and so poorly run that like someone, if there is somebody with natural vision in the FAI, they're taking a qual, they takes an equality based system like that's been kind of implemented in the likes of a Norway and a Sweden, and um, mm. to go like, well, listen, our, our our domestic leagues are not that great anyway, so we might as well um, reset the balance, make them equal, and then hopefully that can incrementally get better. And I think but, there's well, a great we have actually been. The women's national team have actually gotten that kind of backing of equality uh, in recent weeks. So, like, that's let to be yet to be implemented, but there's been an agreement reached. So, yeah, yeah. like, there, I think with John Delaney gone, there's hope yes. that there, the reformation can get started, and mm. that um, I don't think any new iteration of the FAI can be as bad as it has been. I'd like to think so, but like, like, like obviously, the you know, have been there. if it was dark, what was it, Black Mirror version of the FAI is probably yeah. the only worst it can get. So, like, hopefully, <laughs> we don't reach that territory. But yeah, I, I'd yeah. like to. I'd be, I'd be hopeful. I'd be really, really hopeful. But yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think there, there, there is a, a great opportunity here to. Yes, it's going to be a long time to develop those players. It's going to take five to ten years. But you do have a women's team who is very, very good. And if given that one push, if given that publicity and given that um, acknowledgement that they are very, very good sides, then they could easily make, like, hell, like they could do a number on Germany. We don't know. We're, we're, we're ruling them out fairly quickly. They could get Tonk 6-0. Absolutely, they could get Tonk 6-0. But they could win a 1-0. And they get themselves yeah. into the Euros above Ukraine. Ukraine might bottle it against Montenegro and that lets, lets us in with a draw. There is still a way to get into this Euros. But at the same time, people were looking at the World Cup in Eng- England, isn't it? No, uh, Australia. 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 And thinking like, we could be on that plane. We could absolutely be on that plane to Australia because those a lot of those players are still quite young. The likes of a Megan, Cal- Cal- Megan Campbell, Tyler Toland, Kieran and herself. Like, there's so many players that will be peaking at that point. Kate like McCabe, two- who's been captain for like the last four years, is yeah. still 25. Exactly. So like this, so this this team is still going to get better. Denise O'Sullivan is still quite young as well, um, yeah. and again, any other players that you kind of mentioned there as well, like uh, sure, Richard Littlejohn is like back in the form too as well. Yeah, uh, Rihanna Jarrett, of course, yes. So like there's 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 tons there that can we work with, and again, it's actually nice to see a team with a bit of depth now as well, because <laughs> if they're looking at the the men's team and going like, well, who what other strikers do we have apart from Aaron Connolly and Adam Ida? Um, the the uh, Tom Kitman, you you you've you've seen a goal before, haven't you? Do you remember just there, how? <laughs> just there, turning to the bench and seeing Robbie Keane go off. <laughs> Stop <laughs> asking. You know, yeah, like, like in comparison, the women's team is in a far better state at the moment. But I think it's because they're like a little bit further ahead in that project. And yeah, I think yeah, if yeah. given the time and if given the patience, I think they can do it. But it definitely needs it needs backroom support and it needs grassroots support as well. It needs people to all commit to it and just acknowledge the fact that like, this is the lowest ebb that Irish football has been at. Now let's make sure that never happens again. Yeah. And let's do it the right way. Let's do it. So it's, it's, it's a quality base. Let's do it. So that we have two very strong teams comp- competing on both fronts because it's a great opportunity to do that. Like it, yep. it's, this is the opportunity to do it. So fucking take it. Yep. So hundred percent. I'm actually glad we could finish this on a high note, considering that like we, we started off going like, oh God, we have to talk about champagne football and how cursed Irish football is. And they're going like, well, now that the prick is dead, let's fucking ding dong the witch is dead. Let's fucking, let's fucking kick it to gear, lads. Let's get actual players in. Like, you know, 
So uh, in, in that case, I think I'm glad the way this has ended out. It's just like yeah. a message of hope from the Liquid Football Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then like next week when we've been trashed by Germany, I'll be like, um... <laughs> what is I saying about positivity? I hate Vera Pau. Get her out of my country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have a you could stand to have a really shit week where like Vera, like like Germany beat us ten nil and Patrick Vanford scores the winning goal against Arsenal oh, and you're going like, yeah. I don't want to oh, talk to anyone. Today. Yeah, he's, he's nailed on. Yeah, absolutely. But but that's it. That's for another week, unfortunately, folks. Um, so we're gonna leave it there for now. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, book review of champagne football and its consequences on the Irish team. <laughs> uh, thanks to Neil for joining in, but unfortunately real life uh, had was, was more of a priority than this fucking podcast. So I'm totally understandable there. Uh, yeah. Burke, well, thank you. Thank you for joining us despite having to wake you up for it. Um, but that's yep. kind of far for the and course. I stayed away for the whole thing. <laughs> well done. I- I'm glad yeah. an hour and 40 of your time is a new record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, until then guys thank you very much for listening if you have by all means please uh, share this uh, and uh, listen to this on Spotify subscribe to it if you can uh, you can keep up to track up to date with everything that we're doing uh, at Monday Madness LP on Twitter and uh, by all means subscribe to our YouTube channel to uh, watch all the hot content we've got coming out as well uh, but until then guys nice and hot but until then guys thank you very much for listening because that was Liquid Football Apart from the part with John Delaney, because he's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs>